Welcome to Piano Inspires podcast, celebrating pianists, teachers, and innovators as they share their inspiring stories about the transformative power of music. Welcome. I'm Jennifer Snow, the CEO and Executive Director of the Francis Clark Center, and I'm honored and delighted to interview today William Chapman Yaho. Chapman Yaho started playing when he was five. He grew up in a musical family where he received lots of positive encouragement and was surrounded by all types of music. His quote, in my teens, people started saying I should become a banker or something, so I wouldn't spend my life poor, he said. But my dad told me to keep doing what I loved to do. That was piano. Chapin Yaho left Africa in 1978 to attend Oxford University, where he earned a Bachelor of Arts degree in music. He continued his studies in Switzerland and later received a Master of Arts degree from the Eastman School of Music in New York. He received his doctorate in musical arts from the University of Texas, Austin. His quote, after all my studies, I really wanted to get back into playing, he said. My gift lies in interpreting. An exceptional mentor, Niaho speaks of Maya Angelou. He says that he met the famous poet and author through family and friends when she lived in Ghana. He says she taught me how to share my gift. She believed in me before I believed in myself. Being true to my art influenced me to start sharing it freely. With those wonderful and inspiring words, I'm so delighted to be sitting with you here today. Awesome. Niahu, it's an honor to be with you. Hi, Jennifer. Thank you so much. So you've given me lots to work with to start, and yeah. I'd love to start back to that first part of this, which is the five-year-old Chapman Yahoo. Yeah. <laughs> well, so um, I, I come from a family of uh, six kids. I'm the youngest of them. And um, I just grew up with music all around me. You know, my earliest recollections were musical, really. And uh, so I, I was actually born in the U.S. because my dad was ambassador at that time. But we moved back to Ghana pretty shortly after that. And so, you know, my first four years essentially were in Ghana. And then we um, moved to Switzerland where my dad was in the U.N., and then back to Ghana, you know, later on. But, um, yeah, uh, I grew up with my eldest sister, who was about 15 years older than me, um, was a pianist. And so I remember trying to copy her, you know, I must have pestered her when she was <laughs> practicing or something. But um, I remember my earliest recollection was, you know, uh, a brown Steinway at home, you know, and um, my sister playing Bach and all kinds of pieces, WC, if I remember correctly. Yeah, so it was, it was really wonderful. And then um, started having piano lessons and it was just really exciting. And 
listening to music and uh, it just came it was just something that was easy to do I mean not that was just so easy but I just loved it so the passion to play and to try and get better like my older sister and other sisters was just really there so that family environment absolutely and having all that music around you yes do you remember how you felt? You were saying you heard, used to hear your sister practicing and you are so passionate and music felt like the right thing for you in those earliest ages. What was that feeling for you? Was it just sort of that awe of the sound? Oh, just, yes, the awe of the sounds and um, it was just so much joy that I think I felt, I must have felt. And... Uh, and I just wanted to dance around and just play. And, and you know, in those days, you had record players, little um, stereo, a stereo record player. And uh, my family, whoever it was, would play music by, you know, Elvis Presley to all kinds, you know, and, um, and also traditional music. So uh, high life. You know, it was really interesting. So that's kind of, there's music all around me. Wonderful. Yeah, yeah. It's so interesting because you come from a diplomatic home. So mm -hmm. you're, you come from a family where you traveled all over the world. And how do you feel that those experiences that come from also your father being an ambassador and being with mm -hmm. the UN influenced you? And you have lived in different countries. You've been all over the world. And how do, how do you feel about those different musics and those different experiences? Um, I think, uh, so I, I, I would say I grew up being the youngest um, towards the end of my father's career in the diplomatic scene. And so, um, so really my experience was more when we're in Geneva in Switzerland, you know, my older brother and sisters, you know, they'd seen more in the U.S. and all like, I do not remember any of that. I just remember Ghana, Geneva, and back to Ghana. And, um, but that was enough. Uh, went to concerts. Uh, and then also, I think just being around people, entertaining my dad and mom used to entertain you know there was just a lot of people from all over that we were exposed to so it was very you know I, I just had a worldview experience talk to me about growing up in Ghana um that was really quite wonderful you know um so my, my schooling was, you know, it went to a kindergarten, then we went to Switzerland. And so I was in a Swiss school. Um, <laughs> my first and second grade were in a French, Swiss French school, and then um, we started an international school, and then we went back to Ghana. So my growing back, Going back to Ghana, I was in third grade. And that was so exciting because 
there was a lot um there was a lot of um traditional music that just really got to my heart and my just it was just a visceral experience you know and uh had great music teachers you know right through primary school and then in secondary school just had this great teacher John Barham uh who was an English uh teacher and and um the school I went to was called Achimota Achimota secondary primary and secondary school and um the uh they really celebrated we really celebrated our differences our different cultures you know for example my mother comes from a different part of Ghana than my father the language is totally different you know even the music is different you know the for all intents and purposes the harmonic structure is kind of a little bit different it's more thirds in my mother's part of the country it's more pentatonic in my father's part of the country you know you know so there's just so much variety right diversity you know? within so, absolutely and so um we were all encouraged to learn and learn how to read and write in our own different languages and then i was in a um they would get uh people from the university of ghana to come and teach us these different dances so i was in the cultural group and so i learned all these different dances and <laughs> you know like last night i you know i played this piece by uh tanya leon and one of the rhythms you know the clave rhythm is very much what called malogo and I was very tempted to dance. I was stage. going to say having attended that concert, you were dancing. <laughs> oh, you know what I mean? Like your body, the feeling of the music was Yeah. I mean, of course, it was a spectacular performance, but it was clear that you were completely engaged. Yeah. Mind, body, yeah. spirit. Yeah. Yes, exactly. So, you know, um my experience in Achimota school was just amazing. You know, it was It was a boarding school like most schools at that time in Ghana, you know, because people came from afar to study and it was just a really amazing experience. Uh, I was there so music was cultural music and then also classical music. So you know, I was playing Chopin and Beethoven and doing all kinds of things with my teacher and then we had great you know uh education it was just did the o levels ordinary level um exams and then the advanced level exams which um are like the high school equivalent right. yeah and um did music and we were we were working on you know manfred symphonies schubert symphonies and you know Elgar serenade for strings and you know it was quite amazing i mean we had to know in high school uh winterizer inside out key structures you know word painting and all that kind of sort of psychological travel i mean it's it extraordinary quite, I mean, seriously really that's an extraordinary pre-college it experience it was it was really extraordinary yeah. it was amazing it is 
It's yeah, incredible. so really, you know, that really prepared me for, you know, going anywhere, really. For sure. I have a question. Mm-hmm. When, after high school, was there any doubt you would pursue music? You have the quote about some people said, be a yeah. banker. What's that all about? Was someone suggesting with your intellect and abilities to go in any direction, Did you always um, were you always compelled to study music? You know, I was always compelled. Yes, I was compelled to study music. It was just, it was just a really good. It was just something I really loved, you know, and to study more about. And they had great teachers, you know. But um, I, I do remember, you know, the uncles and the aunts, you know, the sexton from, well, Yahoo. <laughs> You know, you should become a banker. (laughs) Something serious. Yeah, something Something serious, you know. And I used to be even apologetic. I'd say, oh, I want to have two strings to my bow. And I think I will will do music and then something else. And I did try to do economics, but (laughs) I was an abysmal failure. (laughs) You know, my eyes just glazed over. Yeah. Well, music chose you. And therefore, the path was clear. I guess so. If I was interviewing your sisters or your parents, if they were living, um, how would they describe you at that juncture, at that fork in the road for yourself? Oh, my gosh. I don't know. Um, They were just all so encouraging. They just let me do what I needed to do. It was very interesting. Maybe because... Also, my older sister had been a musician, and she studied, you know, at the conservatoire in Geneva, and, you know, I mean, she she was really amazing, and um, ended up in Ghana, you know, as a professor at the University of Ghana, teaching music. So, I think it was half a course, maybe. Yeah, you had an older sibling who sort of forged a path that made that something that was, you know, as the baby... Your older siblings paved the way. They paved the way. (laughs) I see that as the oldest with a baby brother. Oh, yeah. Exactly. (laughs) I look forward to meeting your sisters. (laughs) Uh, How beautiful. And as a citizen of the global village, which you are, you then went to no less than Oxford University for your education. Yeah. How was that? That was pretty amazing and intense, you know, Yes, I was very well prepared, you know, in in secondary school. But those also have to understand that we just didn't have opera and orchestras just and all kinds of things around. Yes. Uh, so um, there's a lot of music I needed to learn, you know. I went, I'm either Ghana, we had we would put on Gilbert and Sullivan operettas. <laughs> and so if you meet a lot of Ghanaians who went to Achimoto, you know, you can ask them, oh, do you know anything about Pirates of Penzance? And they'll just, I am the very model of <laughs> You know, they can sing all that kind of stuff. But in terms of opera, my first real opera was the Rake's Progress. Oh, wow. Yeah, Stravinsky in, uh, in Oxford, you know, and... I remember hearing um, uh, La Premidi d'Enfant for the first time. A revelation. Yeah. You know, so there's a, you know, the, there's a lot of stuff I had to sort of catch up 
with, you know, to be with my buddies who were there as freshmen, you know, I had a lot of listening and work to do. Were you homesick? Did you build a community at Oxford? How was it? Um, I was homesick when, when it was really cold. I'm sure. <laughs> you know. Damp, um, cold oh winter. Oh my gosh. <laughs> it, was, it could have been, it was quite brutal for me from that point of view. But um, no, because I think we lived, you know, I'd had older siblings in, you know, who were already living in Europe and everything. It was just, okay, this is how I'm supposed to do it. Yeah, yeah. This is how it goes. This is how it goes. And while you were at Oxford, were you engaged with any of your traditional music from your homeland? Did you encounter other cultures? Because in your work, you're so passionate about yes. knowing people through culture, through music. Yeah. Did that, were those seeds, um, you know, as a cultural ambassador, that's who you are. Mm. Were those seeds in the ground? So how did they start to emerge at Oxford? Well, well the, yeah, the seeds were in the ground from what we did or what I experienced in, in Achimota in Ghana. But um, it was probably getting to know, you know, how to write in the style of Palestrina, five-part five counterpoint in the style of Bach, or, you know, to understand the harmonic processes of, uh, you know, Wolf, you know, art song and things. Just a like little that. rigor. I, it was, uh, it was um, yeah, it was pretty intense. But um, I will say... You know, when we're freshmen, and I mean, there's something about the education in Oxford. You know, um, people would, we as students would put up notices around town. Okay, you know, I'm putting on Brahms Requiem, and then people sign up to go sing, and and I I remember. I was quite surprised that later on, the conductor who was doing the Brahms Requiem was a freshman. <laughs> and it's a very different. And so um, I remember I took the initiative and put on a recital. I just said, okay, I'm going to do Brahms Liebes Lieder Waltzes. And I partnered with my, one of my tutors. Um, and so we play the duets and just put a sign up and got amazing singers to sing Brahms Leaders, Liebes Lieder Waltzes. We did Vojak, and then I got scores of Ghanaian choral music. Oh, wow. Yeah, by Ephraim Amu, who was just an amazing genius of a composer from Ghana. And so they, these... We students in Oxford, they learn how to do, you know, do all the pronunciations and tree and our language and all that kind of stuff. Wow. So it was really quite a, I think that's, you know, so there was stuff germ- germinating there already. Yes, and so. that kind of freedom to explore and be creative. And it sounds like an environment where people were just doing things that they wanted to exactly. do. So you said, let's do this. And yeah, everybody and said, yeah, that sounds okay. great. Let's do it. 
It was pretty amazing. That it was is. the that was, that was a wonderful thing about Oxford. Yeah. After Oxford, did you go straight to the United States for studies, or where did or you were in Geneva? I was in Geneva. That's right. I was in Geneva. So, you know, Oxford. So just to backtrack, so when I was in Ghana, I also took all the ABRSM exams. Sure. And so, I, and I also got uh, the LRSM. Licentiate. The licentiate mm-hmm. when I was in the sixth form, or you know. I don't know, it would be 11th or 12th yeah, grade. Yeah, that's very impressive. Yeah, I was, it was just really in, amazing. But Oxford was a lot of paperwork, a lot of writing. I mean, so, and I couldn't afford to have piano lessons, you know, go down to London for piano lessons. I had a few lessons which were, you know, I mean, just I just didn't have time. Because it was all paperwork. It was history, counterpoint, research papers, all, all of that stuff. So, um, yeah, uh, it, it, just, it just went that way. So after Oxford, you must have been sort of pining to spend time just Except, exploring and, and applying all that. playing the piano. Right. Yeah. How beautiful. Yeah, so um, went to Geneva because one of my older sisters was working in the UN there. And uh, so um, I entered the conservatoire. And, um, but I remember I could barely play. I could barely look at a score and play. My technique was just horrible. And, um, and we happened to know this wonderful pianist and composer, Oswald Russell, you know, and he kind of nurtured me back, you know, and got me to get into the uh, conservatoire there. So I took lessons with him, you know, in my crash course. And, and I guess it was a miracle I got into the conservatoire to be able to stop playing again. So that's an interesting junction because it's you were in a scholarly education and you know keeping your music going whatever way you mm-hmm. could and then you kind of but you were still compelled to play and yes. express yourself so you you know and find yourself in a place where you're almost resetting saying yes. now I want to I've got that background. I want to get back get into back those in. things. And the amount of work that would have taken. It was quite a bit of, you know, work. And, and I'll say, um, so I, I spent a year there, you know, trying to get back into it. And, and I also still wanted a little bit more of the academic stuff. So that's how I applied to Eastman. And amazingly enough, I'll say, <laughs> I, got, I got in. And uh, and so I got in there and started studying and hearing all this amazing music and seeing all these students just kind of fierce musicians. It was just it's quite. So I had a lot of work to do, and I had you know the the few th- two things I had to say. Okay, I'm going to be a musician, whether I'm poor or rich or whatever. I had to make that commitment, you know. And then I also had to 
say to myself, I'm not going to compare myself to anybody else in terms of how, how well they play and all that kind of stuff. And, you know, because I, I had my journey. Right. Everybody has a different journey. And I really had to believe that to be able to survive. How was it coming to America after spending almost all of your young life in Africa and Europe? Mm-hmm. And then to come to the Eastman School in New York State, how was that? What were your impressions? What were your feelings? I know you, your family always had connections, international mm-hmm. connections and exposures. But it's different when you come on your journey and you, you land. You thought it was cold in Oxford. It was. <laughs> it was freezing in, in, uh, in Rochester. I mean, well, it was... It was, it was, um, it was challenging, but it was very exciting, you know, because, you know, um, just heard so much about the U.S. And also, at that time, it just felt that if I was going to do what I wanted to do, the U.S. had better facilities, you know, and better opportunities. Um, and it was true. Eastman was an amazing place. Who did you study with? I Eastman? studied with uh, Barry Snyder. Oh, wonderful. Yeah. And so, um, and I felt pretty much embraced, you know, at Eastman. And um, yeah. And did you go right into your doctorate after your master's at yes. Austin? Yes. Yeah, because, you know, as a student and being on a Ghanaian passport, you know, the only way was to kind of, you know, you had just had to see, you just couldn't. Keep so, the F-1 visa rolling. Yeah, exactly. Right. You, you, yeah, are, you, you no don't have chance. all the same options. Right. Mm-hmm. You know, and so um, it was, uh, so I applied to Austin. and that Why was, Austin? How did that come about? What? Um, I, I was just looking at different schools and Austin seemed a little further south, a little warmer. I know <laughs> this may sound a little trite, uh, but, um, but then I saw, you know, in the brochure, David Renner, and he studied at Eastman and studied with Cecil Garnhart and, you know, he was a little bit older than Barry Snyder. And they were, you know, they both, you know, so I thought I was going to be continuing in a tradition, sort of, kind of. A continuum. Yes, in Mm -hmm. a continuum. And um, I have to be honest, uh, it was so much cheaper, you know, because if I got a teaching assistantship, I mean, it was going to be a tenth or less than what, you know, I was paying at Eastman. Right. So it was you know, practical decision it, yeah, and so opportunity we, at the same time. And, you know, they, and the facilities were amazing. And I, you know, and I went down. <laughs> I went in the middle. Uh, Eastman, Rochester had, had this incredible ice storm. And, and I finally got on a plane and, you know, wearing thermal underwear and everything and just wrapped up in how many ever layers and land in Austin. I was just like, 
I had to go, you know, just rip off all these layers, you know, and and the food was great, the everything. Oh, and it's a great school. Yeah. Great music school. And, and I and I I know, and you know, I'd just come, you know, I'd been in the US. I couldn't believe people were water skiing in March. <laughs> Especially after being in upstate New York. Exactly. So Oh, I thought marvelous. I'm going to play the hell out of my audition. So. <laughs> um, so you've had this incredible amount of education. Yeah. And as you got towards the end of your doctorate, mm-hmm. did you decide you wanted to stay in the U.S.? Did you want to pursue an academic career? Where was your heart at that moment? Um, my heart was, well, my heart was really to continue no matter what, you know, with performing and teaching. But what was really cool was, uh, you know, I was, after I was done with my coursework, uh, a good friend of mine, John Ferguson, who who was part of the Yes Academy, that's Scott Donald and right. Allison. Yeah, we had met auditioning in Geneva. Oh, wow. And he'd been in Austin, and he told me about this, amazing program in North Carolina as you know so I went and auditioned as a visiting artist in North Carolina and I got a H-1B visa that way and um, so I was in North Carolina as visiting artist um, performing I mean we had to perform all over and in any kind of situation broken pedals on pianos, sticking notes, playing for um, kindergarten right through big recitals, homes. I mean, civic clubs. It was an amazing experience, yeah. you know. To be a musician in community. Mm-hmm. And learning to bring your art form and getting people interested in who you are and what you have to say in music and trying to get people connected in somehow instead of thinking of classical music as a dead art form. Right. When did you meet Maya Angelou? She was in North Carolina. You did? Yes. Okay. She, was a, she was a professor at Wake Forest. So, I mean, that was an amazing experience because... Uh, my the college I was attached to said, Oh, Dr. Angelo is just said, you know, you should invite her to a concert. I said, I just don't know this. You know, I just I just she's such a big person and they just kept insisting and um have you called her? And I so one day I said, just to get them off my back, I was gonna call Wake Forest. I called Wake Forest and Wake Forest, this person gave me this number and I called it and she answered. Oh, wow. You know, and she was, I explained to her who I was. I said, yeah, I, you know, I know who, who your parents are and all that kind of stuff. And come, what are you doing this weekend? Come over to my place. It's just like. Wow. And, and the funny thing was, it was kind of like October or something, you know, and I was going to give a recital and. She said, when did you get to North Carolina? I said, oh, August. I said, and you're only calling me now? <laughs> <laughs> I was like, well, well, well. 
She was just so inviting and just embraced me, and it was just amazing. You know. I, How do you feel that she most impacted your life? Because you had a long relationship with her. Yeah. Oh. Just being around her and just seeing her art and how mighty it was, and yet how accessible she was, you know? I mean, I learned, I learned very quickly when she asked me to play for a group of people with her, or, you know, at a party or something with her. I just, yeah, and I would have something prepared. There's no room for, oh, I'm not quite practiced and all that kind of stuff, you know. Right. This is who you, this is what you do. Yeah, you just had to be, do it. Be it, yes. You know, and because if we asked her to recite a poem, she would just go look and say, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to recite this sonnet by Shakespeare and all wow. that kind of stuff and just... You know, she just gave of herself that way. And I learned pretty well, very quickly, that that was something to do. And um, she was so good to me. You know, she just... I mean, there are times, you know, she would call and say, what, what are you doing this weekend? And I'd say, well, I'm not, quite, not... I don't have anything to do, so I want you to come over. And I said, I want you to meet some people. And she would say, uh, I would ask her, well, who is this? She said, no, it's a secret. You know? <laughs> or you come over. <laughs> and I'll come over and it would be Harry Belafonte. Oh, wow. I mean, and or, you know, she was doing some project with Roberta Flack, you know, and... She just wanted us to meet, and it was just the three of us in the house. And she says, "Oh, go talk to, to you know, Miss Flack, and 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 she and I would have this amazing conversation. I mean, I I had no idea, but to Flack, you know, played with the National Symphony. She, I mean, she was playing concertos and all kinds of things, you know." I mean, I, she just gave me the opportunity to see all these and meet all these amazing people. She's so generous that way. I'd like to connect that to you, actually, and mm. your role as a mentor, your role as, uh, especially for young mm. musicians and teachers and performers mm -hmm. through all the work you do. And your wonderful collection yeah. So if I'd love for you to talk a little bit about how the collection came about and how that all connected on that wonderful theme yeah. of generosity and service. Well, um, yeah, so th that particular project started um, in 2001. I was, I was uh, doing a session for MTNA in Cincinnati, and uh, I had taken a leave of absence from the university that I was at in Louisiana, and I was on Vashon Island in Washington. Lovely. <laughs> yeah, it was great. Lovely. And I had 
you know, been able to amass all these scores, you know, but out of print or manuscripts of composers of African descent. So I did a presentation into Africa advocating piano music of Africa and the African diaspora. And um, luckily, Oxford University Press was at my, my uh, presentation. And so they took me on. And that's how it all started up in 2000. No, it was 2002. Yeah. How have you seen things changed since 2002 when you published that extraordinary collection? I ha Honestly, I really think things have really started happening. Like uh, the concert, the, um, the concert last night, the piano stories. You know, uh, somebody was saying, just look at the repertoire. I think this is the new norm. Right. You know, it isn't, you know. Special old... presentation on this repertoire yeah. was just part of the canon. It was just, exactly. Mm -hmm. and, and Yeah, it's part of the canon, no longer the old faithfuls. Right. You know, yes, we did have Bach. And now it's just phenomenal. But, you know, it just made everything so important and just as special as Bach, you know. So I really see there's been a huge change since, I would say, the publications, but probably even more so during the time that uh, we were locked up with COVID and we saw the death of George Floyd, you know, I mean, that was, I think, when people had to see that played over and over and over again, I think it was like a moment where, oh, wait a minute, let's stop and think about this, you know. And the juxtaposition of, as a world, we're all together facing yes. this horrible thing, and then something so horrific. Horrific. It was like the extreme juxtaposition of what we thought we were being as a human race yeah. and what we are. Exactly. You know, so I really think, and so luckily I would say maybe those who had these books for several years and were working or teaching them suddenly realized how important the work was you know, and for people to start understanding that, yes, we are diverse and we need to celebrate our diversity and promote equity and create access, you know. And so, um, and so it's just been wonderful hearing Korean piano music, hearing music by, you know, people from the Philippines, you know? All this amazing music is now getting, people are hearing it, you know? And it's that kind of connection you speak about of if you play the music from my country, you begin to understand who I, who I am. am. It's correct. Cultural ambassadorship through music. And, you know... Um, and I'll say one of the seeds that was planted for me was 
when I first, in 84, when I went to audition in Austin, I don't know whether I've said it a thousand times, but I, I went to study with David Renner. I wanted to study with David Renner, and he, I knocked on his door, and he you know, introduced myself. So I was coming from Eastman, and I was like, who are you from? I said, from Ghana. And he said, oh, great. And, and so I'll, I'll be there at your audition the next day. And guess what? After my audition, he called me back to his office to interview me and said, I read up on Ghana in the encyclopedia the <laughs> night before. And Beautiful. I was like, I see you. That's right. You know, I was very, I, I was, I was very touched. And see I see you and I respect you. I respect and you. And I'm curious. I'm curious. I'm interested. How can I, how Connect. can I? Yeah, and I think that's something we all need to do for students. And I hope, you know, what people are getting from the conferences are um, creating access and making sure that people are um, seeing who their students are or even requiring the students to... Um, Delve, look, look at themselves and see who am I, and what's my background. What can I celebrate about myself? Instead of how many etudes of this and that I need to play just to be able to make it. Who am I? You know, I think it's just really, really, really important. And I think that's how it's going to bring healing to the world, that we are able to teach our students to value each other and value the other person from a different culture and be curious and be happily curious, you know? How do you feel about that in terms of music? In terms of music, what you just said. I think, I, I think music is such a music is such a big healer. We we're humans, and it's our art and culture that defines us, and not, you know, how much we can make in the stock market and so on and so forth, you know. And I think if we can if we can find music that we can connect to or as performers or as teachers, you know, explain to others what, what resonates with me and what I'm giving to you as a gift, you know, can help. I mean, music is, music is a way to bring relief to people, you know. You just don't know who you're going to touch or heal in um, in a recital just because you know the person's had a terrible day and they bought this ticket to come and hear you play and oh my gosh they played something which is kind of different oh oh that's something I recognize you know talk about the future because you are such a inspi an inspiring figure inspiring educator, artist, advocate, 
Um, let's talk about the future. What's your dream future? Wow. Uh, well, um, my future is, my dream of the future is more of what's happening right now. Yes. I'm very encouraged. I'm really encouraged that all these amazing sessions that we're, I'm seeing and, you know, and it's just got to be, it comes to, I hope it just comes to a point where it's just, it's a normal thing and it is not, oh, I'm going to play something exotic for you, you know, or, or, yeah, I don't know how else to put it. Well, I suppose as pianists, we tend to be historically very narrow. Mm-hmm. And I, I also think about it in terms of food. You uh-huh. go into a city and you can have all kinds of food from all over the world. And, yeah. and you can go in and experience that. And we think about music broadening what's available, what, being more curious and aware of what's available. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you've yes. done so much to advance that for pianists. Thank you. You really have. It's extraordinary. And when you talk about 2001, yes, and sort and of like over two decades yeah. in the 21st century to really sort of be the tip of the spear on this essential and critical work. It's been amazing. It's been amazing because um, all of this was a labor of love, actually. You know, it was just a labor of love. And... Uh, I mean, because in those days, you know, I couldn't get a grant, you know, whatever I wrote for, it was just, what's this nonsense, or I fell in between the cracks, you know, but it was also about just being unrelenting and trying to, to produce something that was varied and beautiful to look at, you know. Pianaho, we yeah. tend to end our podcast with finish the sentence. Piano inspires. Piano inspires dialogue. I love it. Thank you for Thank you. your openness, your incredible work, your award winning scholarship, publications, your international mentorship, and you are a beacon and bright light in our field, and we are honored to know you. Thank Thank you you so so much. much. (laughs) Thank you. The Francis Clark Center is a not-for-profit educational organization that serves the advancement of piano teaching, learning, and performing. Divisions include Piano Magazine, Piano Inspires Kids, Journal for Piano Research, National Conference on Keyboard Pedagogy, The New School for Music Study, Piano Education Press, International Online Teacher Education, and Piano Inspires Online Community Hub. Please visit us at pianoinspires.com to learn more about our impactful work and inspiring community.